Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome, tennis fans, to KickServeRadio.com 2024, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, featuring International Tennis Hall of Famer, former world number one Mats Vlander, and Texas Longhorn all-time great, two-time All-American Johnny Levine. Your host of KickServeRadio.com is Andy Zoden. So, take it away, AZ. And take it away, I will welcome everybody to the Aussie Open Recap Edition of KickServeRadio.com. We're part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network, and as you heard, we are joined by and we feature the great Mats Vlander, seven-time Grand Slam champion, three-time Davis Cup champion, International Tennis Hall of Famer, former number one in the world. Johnny Levine will be joining us a little bit later, the two-time All-American from the University of Texas. But we start with this, Mats Vlander. We have now been doing this show. We're going on four years. This is our fourth year. And since day one, you have not been on the Yannick Center bandwagon. You have been driving the damn thing yourself as if it were afloat in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, waving at the crowd as you drove by, talking about Yannick Center since the kid was the tender age of 18. So with that being said, at this point, watching this kid become the player he has become, become the man he has become, and to win his first major title, how do you feel? Great to be with you, Andy. Four years is blown by, that's for sure. It's been so much fun, um, and especially when you're right. Uh, now, <laughs> Only kidding. I think the reason the reason from the beginning was that he was always an unbelievable ball striker, but he never really played in the juniors. And and that makes a huge difference to me that if you play in the juniors and you win everything, it's not it might be too much. But he came up in a way very quickly through the ranks. So I am so again, it this happens to me quite often where I'm like, I can't believe that I'm I'm so lucky to call myself a former tennis professional because some guys just make our sport a place where you want to work in, where you want to be around them. And they can be like Carlos Alcaraz, which is a little flashy and flamboyant, but in an unbelievably nice way. They can be Daniel Medvedev. That's funny. He's real. Um, He doesn't really care, but he does care what people think. But he's still going to say what he wants. Or a Nick Curios that had his bad sides, but he also has a lot of good sides we have now found out since commentating. So to see Sinner, there's so much to, to love about Yannick Sinner. Now you can add the footwork and the forehand and the improved serve, but the personality itself, Alcaraz and him had had some unbelievable battles. And now that Sinner knows he can win, can you imagine those matches going forwards? It's going to be absolutely incredibly um exciting to anticipate the level that they're playing at. There's so much to unpack, Matt, about everything that you just touched on for the most part outside the lines. 
But let's talk inside the lines a little bit more. Now, the Medvedev match, I think we can reconcile a little easier. He was a huge favorite going into that match. He had spent substantially less time on court than Medvedev. I believe it was somewhere between six and eight hours less court time. Medvedev had to go through so much just to get by Zverev in five sets. But let's take on the semifinal when we look at Sinner versus Djokovic, because this is what really, to me and to a lot of people, not that it wouldn't have been legitimate otherwise, but this really legitimizes this Australian Open title for Yannick Sinner to have had to go through the best Australian Open player in the history of the sport, the best player in the history of the sport, for that matter, Novak Djokovic. Does this speak more of Yannick Sinner's improvement, or does it speak more to a decline in what we're going to see now from now on with Djokovic, or is it obviously more likely some combination of those two? Well, I don't think that there's going to be much of a decline for Djokovic, to be honest. I think that he he had a really off day, which in my eyes is kind of heartwarming. I don't mean that in the wrong way, but to see that he's, oh, so he is really human. And now it becomes superhuman what he's done for the last, for the last few years, because he, he really hasn't thrown in a performance like that. So I think that that uh, played a part. I think Novak understood if I don't have a good day, I'm in serious trouble. And I don't think there are more than one or two guys in the top 100 that Novak thinks like that against. And I think Sinner is one. I would go out on the limb and say that the Alcaraz and Sinner challenge for Novak is a little bit more um, risky than the challenge that came from Stefano Tsitsipas, Daniil Medvedev, and, and Sasha Zverev, what, four, five, six years ago? I think these guys are a couple of years ahead. They play faster, um, and they play faster than Novak. So I I love it in a way, because I think Novak is going to come back. And, and um, I mean, he doesn't want to go out like that. We know that. And uh, he's not going to. I think he's going to win majors this year. I think Sinner might win another one now that he's won this one. Before we go to break, Mats, Yannick Sinner wins his first major, and he goes home to Italy. He's now won the Davis Cup for his country. I mean, the guy right now rivals Julius Caesar in popularity when he goes back to Italy. How big is this for him, and does the team that he has in place, including, as you mentioned, Darren Cahill, really provide you with some confidence that they're going to do everything that they can to make sure that this kid is going to thrive from this win and not potentially take a step back because of the demands of of now being the first Italian Grand Slam champion ever on the men's side. Yeah, exactly. I think that um, the world that he trains in and that you just mentioned, I think he's that's not his world. That's not the world that he really that's the world he works in. And I think the world that he lives in emotionally is that mountain village of of, uh, Cortina. Uh, I mean, he's he's obviously a former alpine skier, and there's something about that culture being out in the fresh air, and uh, it's all about conditions, but it's really all about having fun. But I think you're right, Cahill, those guys, I mean, they're so grounded, the whole team, they're having fun, and uh, and he believes in them. He said, they give me the freedom to be who I am and do what I want, but I need their leadership to sort of take me down the path where I could get lost otherwise. So everything he does and says to me, um, best part 
is when he takes his cap off. Because who would ever imagine that there's hair like that underneath the cap? <laughs> He's got a mop. Yeah, that puts him in legendary status when it comes to just his look, for sure. And speaking of Italian, legendary Italian players, I mentioned Yannick Sinner being the first Italian Grand Slam champion. Don't want to shortchange Adriano Panada winning the French Open in 76. Got to make sure that we correct that. All right, let's go to break, match. Lots more to get to in recapping this 24 Aussie Open. Arena Sabalenka uh, didn't just repeat, but she made a statement. And we'll get to that, among other things, when we come back. KickServeRadio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network. Hey, tennis fans, it's Sarah Z here, and I want to make sure that you've got the BNP Paribas Open on your travel radar. March 6th through 17th at the Indian Wells Gardens. Go to bnpperibasopen.com and make your plans today. It is a tennis extravaganza you don't want to miss. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back, everybody. Aussie Open edition of KickServeRadio.com, Tennis Channel Podcast Network, AZ and Matt's taking a look back. Johnny will be joining us a little bit later. I know he wants to talk about the doubles, but I got more singles to talk to you about, Matt's. But before we even get to that, you made a quick comment. We kind of brushed over it real quick, but I think there's more of a story there. And that's Nick Kyrgios as a commentator. And I found it, I found it really kind con- I couldn't help but smile when I was watching Nick do his thing, because it's like, this guy's really a nice guy and he's funny and he's good hearted and he's respectful to the other commentators and he's respectful about the people that he's talking about. So it's like, who is the real Nick Kyrgios, Mats? Well, I think there is most probably a couple of different personalities because, and I'm not saying that because I know, but he even referred to that as well when when he was talking about psychological strength, and he was would be very sarcastic, uh, uh, deprecating towards himself in one way, and he can't be coached, and he tried, uh, they but it doesn't work. So I think that we got such an insight in in how Nick Curious handles the pressure of competition, and it's nothing like. Nearly anyone else has handled it. John McEnroe did it in his own way. Of course, everybody did it in their own way, but most of us were keeping most of it on the inside. So I think with Nick, uh, it it was brilliant to to have his insight. I thought he was great. I hope he keeps going. Uh, But I think that after that, 
I think of Chris Eubanks because he very famously said that he thought of tennis differently after he started commentating for the tennis channel. And we all know what's happened to Chris Eubanks. He's what is he top 30 in the world, pretty much and quarters of Wimbledon. I mean, who would have ever, ever thought that about, about him? I don't think he did. So maybe Nick will, will understand tennis a little bit uh, differently or competition at least and, and sort of how to behave. Do we want Nick Curious to change is the big question. I would say, Matt, if I had to comment on that question that you posed, do we want Nick Curious to change? I would say that might be a bit much to ask, but I don't think anybody would mind seeing him mature. Yeah. And just mature into, you know, a, a, a slightly more mellow version of himself that has that smile on his face and as opposed to the scowl, if the, if the chirping of the box and the scowl and the blaming and, and, and some of that stuff was to subside and we were to see a little more of that, that really sweet, playful kid, if you will, who knows yeah. a hell of a yeah. lot about tennis and says a lot of the right things at the right time. I don't think any tennis tennis fan in their right mind would have a problem with that. Yeah. Now let's talk about Sasha Zverev. Because this guy can play great tennis, and he still has this, 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 this block that prevents him from. And you made mention of it when we talked about, for whatever reason, he had this winning formula against Medvedev. That, if memory serves, when we chatted, um, had a lot to do with frequency of getting to the net, and that you felt that at a certain point he 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 sort of refrained from doing it as much, and subsequently a five set loss. Yeah, I mean, it's heartbreaking uh, in many ways. We have to remember he won the Olympic gold and he's won the ATP finals a couple of times and he's won uh, uh, ATP 1000 tournaments. He's beaten everybody. He beat Federer, Nadal in the same week at the ATP finals. So I think he's had enough success. Should have won the US Open most probably when they lost to Dominic Team, But he's made an unbelievable comeback. So I think that there is still a learning curve for him. I think that he is not tactically there all the time yet. And I think Medvedev kind of showed that in the finals against Sinner too. He can play very aggressive tennis, but maybe doesn't quite uh, yet, but they will, I think. And that's what I think is refreshing with Sasha Zverev is that he's, he's, he's there. Now he was unbelievably close, obviously. Uh, and uh, who would have thought that who would have ever thought that he would come to the net 75 times uh anyway so i think that he's taken very very small steps but in the right direction to me especially since he broke his foot uh a, a couple of years ago against rafa nadal at the french open so i think this the steps are not uh anywhere close to the size that carlos alcaraz and yannick sinner are taking but he's taken them slowly and with that serve and the physicality he's a breath of fresh air when he plays aggressive tennis to me. But wow, what a heartbreaking situation for him. And uh, I mean, everything that we have heard uh, is still going on off the court um, in, in his former sort of private life. You just, you feel for the guy. And at the same time, don't know how you play good tennis when uh, things like that are still sort of up in the air a little bit with with his court case and and how obviously um, the official uh, situation has been fined by the judge, but he's appealing it. So uh, who knows, right? 
And I, I, I want to credit you, Matt, because if, if you hadn't, if you hadn't mentioned it, I was going to have to ask, would we be remiss not to mention, you can talk about it being heartbreaking and this and that, but there are, there are people out there that aren't, you know, playing a, a violin for Alexander Zverev because of the fact that they have already judged him in their own way based on what you referred to, which is the domestic violence issues. And those are still up in the air and how that doesn't have an effect on you uh, with all that is at stake and the paper thin margins that these guys play. I, I think we would be, we would be remiss not to at least address that. We don't have to judge it. And you certainly didn't, and I'm not going to either, but we have to at least, at least make mention of it. Okay. Arina Sabalenka. It was such a relief to the entire tennis fandom at large across the world to see her get that monkey off her back and win that first major at the Australian. This was very different. This was, this was a bulldozer. This was, this tournament was won in as dominant a fashion as we ever saw Serena win. And she may not be ranked number one in the world right now, but she sees herself as the number one player in the world. Andy Roddick came out and said she has every right to consider herself at this moment to be the number one player in the world. And I ask you, how does anybody not consider her at this moment not to be the number one player in the world? Yeah, I think she is. I really do. I mean, uh, the rankings don't show it, but I think she is. Uh, Because, again, she is not only hitting the ball hard. She knows how to do other things these days. She can slice a backhand uh, against Coco Goff in the semis. Uh, We actually interview her for, for... Eurosport again and she because she came to the net not that many times but like 20 times and just cut the angles off and so Coco couldn't sort of uh, keep running from corner to corner and keep the ball in play because she would cut the angles off and I think that speaks volume of of the the process that she's enjoying becoming a more complete tennis player in the end she wins because she's got more power than other but but you got to win points in many different ways and she, i think she's understood that you can't just win points one way it's got to be different ways and and even if you look back at someone like serena williams she also when she decided to not miss she decided not to miss and she decided to, hey, I'm going to keep the ball in play a little bit longer because this is the right thing to do right now. So I think that it's amazing. What's the most amazing thing to me is that I remember back in the day when when uh, uh, some of them were women, and don't get me wrong, men did it too. And men are louder in terms of grunting mm-hmm. than some of the women for sure. But I remember when Monica Sellers came out. Uh, and, of course, one of the unbe- most unbelievable fighters there are, but this, there was talk about, ooh, she's a little bit loud. The then shrieking. Victoria Azarenka, yeah, Victoria Azarenka came out, and there was some, oh, is this too loud? What's going on? With Sabalenka, there is, there is a spirit there that I think people find endearing. And I'm not saying Azarenka, she has the same spirit because she's such a fighter. Monica Seles, same thing, would have won so much more. And obviously with what happened with the stabbing, oh. we feel so bad for her. And she's a great lady. So is Victoria Zarenka. And Sabalenka, she's, people just love being sort of uh, around her. Her team, they're unbelievably fun. They're making it fun for her. But in the end, when she's on the biggest stage in the world in professional tennis, People love her. And I think it's because there's an innocence, uh, there's a self-confidence, and there is a 
I'm not holding back because I'm going to go out here. And also you get the feeling that if it doesn't work, she's going to be the most graceful loser that you can ever be these days. So I think she's grown as a person and she's so fit. She moves well and she's got an unbelievably healthy attitude these days. So well worth uh, and it were interesting, Coco Goff and her, easily the best match at the, at the, at the Australian Open in terms of the women's match and easily the, the player that took Sabalenka uh, to the closest uh, two sets. Let me ask you this regarding those two matches, and I apologize. But first of all, A, I think what you allude to but didn't necessarily say specifically was part of what the fans love about Sabalenka is that she wears her emotions on her sleeve like no other. I mean, we know exactly what she's thinking and and fans live and die with her because they can see exactly where she's at. But but then I ask you from a strategic standpoint with uh, Arena coming in and cutting off some of these balls and moving to the net basically speaks to an adjustment made that would come on the heels of that loss at the U.S. Open because Coco was able to defend the court so well and run down those balls. And if Arena wasn't in there to knock off the volley, then it just reset the point. So now she's made the adjustment and she's beaten Coco. So now what is the next adjustment for Coco Goff if she's going to then try to recapture the upper hand? Because you wouldn't have necessarily thought of Coco Goff in years past as being athlete for athlete the same in the same weight class, if you will, as Arena Sabalenka. But when you look at Coco Goff now, man, you're seeing some shoulders on this girl and you're seeing some quads on her. She's a full grown woman now. Now, These two athletes, these are both heavyweights in the women's game. And I don't mean that in a, you know, in any kind of a negative way. I just mean they are built for serious brawling out on the tennis court. But now it's going to be just it's going to be a game of tactics. What's what's Coco's next move? Well, I think that it needs to be said that the Australian Open courts um, are playing faster than the U.S. Open. Um, they're obviously faster than the French Open. Uh, they're different from for Wimbledon because Wimbledon, uh, it's not as easy to play like Sabalenka because the bounce is lower. Uh, it is not completely true all the time. So there's some doubt in there. And I think for Coco Goff, being such a great mover and maybe being not being ultra aggressive, I think a grass court also with that slight serve, I think that she can have some some great success on the grass court. Uh, and uh, I mean, just look at Marketa Vondrasova. I mean, she, she couldn't win on any other surface, but with craftiness and good movement and anticipation, you can. So I think the Australian Open uh, is the perfect surface for Sabalenka. And I think it's the worst slam for Coco Goff in terms of the court speed and in terms of, and they talked about it so much that some Melbourne Knights, they're 60 degrees and the balls become really heavy and the court slow down. And then the next day, two o'clock in the afternoon, it's, it's a uh, hundred 90 degrees right. and the balls are flying through the court. So you have to make some serious adjustments there. And for Sabalenka, both situations are good. Heavy tennis balls means she can go for it and not miss as much. Faster court with fast tennis balls means she only hits to hit maybe two shots a rally before it to being over. So to me, I think there's no need to panic for Coco Goff. I think that she talked about working a little bit for a couple of days with Andy Roddick on her serve. I think that needs to be addressed again. It's She serves harder don't necessarily think she serves better. Um, the forehand will always be a work in progress, but with Brad Gilbert there, 
with uh, now that you mentioned Andy Roddick, I think that there's a very healthy situation uh, around Coco, and she's 19. So I think that she uh, she doesn't have to worry about anything. Maybe it might take a couple of years to, for her to to sort of challenge Sabalenka uh, in in 10 matches out of 10. But she's going to win three or four if they're if they're meaningful because of her spirit and her competitive uh, nature. Coco Goff, I think, even against Sabalenka. 19, I think they said she'll be 20 prior to the next major, but at 19 years of age, she's three in the world with the U.S. Open in her pocket, and the future has never been brighter for her. It's never been brighter for Sabalenka. Last word, Iga Svantec, I asked you about Djokovic. Is there is there cause for concern with Djokovic? You seem to think he'll be able to right the ship. Svantec, we just don't have n- enough years of data to know whether or not this is going to – this loss at the Australian, she almost lost to, to Daniel Collins, uh, but then she ends up losing to uh, to a teenager, and she's taken it on the chin a couple of times unexpectedly in the last year, Matt. She, she was so dominant, and now not so much. Yeah, it's nearly like when you watch her play at the Australian Open that uh, uh, she's, she's, she's trying to keep up with the hard-hitting Sabalenka and Rybakina. And I think that's wrong. I think that she has a forehand that can put an enormous amount of topspin uh, on it. And I think she she needs to use that. Uh, and obviously, she's won four majors. So it really, Yannick Sinner has won one. But if you, again, saw Sinner suddenly slow it down on second serve returns, looping it up a little bit higher, not giving Medvedev as much to work with in terms of pace. I feel like Iga Swantek against that match against Linda Noskova, she she refused to sort of loop it up a little bit and and, and refused to, uh, to realize that, hey, this girl is hitting me off the court. If we're playing the same game, let me use my experience, my forehand topspin, maybe my kick serve, and let's just change it, change things around. So I think that takes a certain maturity that I think will still come to on off days or an on day for your opponent that you realize that, hey, it doesn't matter what the number next to my name says. This girl is out hitting me, and I've got to slow things down, and I've got to play my style of tennis. I feel like she's trying to keep up and and be a little bit too aggressive at this moment and trying to hit with, uh, with, with those girls. With that forehand grip, that's nearly impossible to do, and she should start spinning the forehand like she does on clay, and, and I think that she will have better success against hard hitters. But at the same time, she's so young uh, and uh, she's such a hard worker that I cannot imagine that she won't have another sort of 12-month period where she hardly hardly loses a match again. I really is, don't think. Is this a modern-day version, Matt, of what we saw when Martina Hingis was so dominant but then suddenly went up against the Williams sisters and some of the other power players? Is this kind of another, like, chapter two of what we saw at that time? It is, yes. And I think Martina Hingis, she was so talented. And I think she would have figured it out. But but I'll tell you what, I was 
at my best in 1988, and I played Andre Agassi in the semis of the French Open, uh, and it went five sets. You didn't win in the end. You won love in the thirds, love in the fifth. So that's you, right. But yeah, uh, you eked it out. Yeah, because I think he he started cramping, even though he he was just standing uh, directing traffic. But the next year, I played <laughs> Pete Sampras in, this, in, I think, the second round of the U.S. Open. Yep. And I was the, the, the defending champion. And in those two years, I was like, okay, what happened right. in those two years? Because I was, the, I was the number one in the world for most of 88, uh, I felt, winning three majors. But then suddenly, these guys come out and they hit it harder. And I just couldn't. Uh, I didn't give myself enough time to maybe try and turn the tide, but it was just like, oh my goodness, like what happened to them? How can they hit the ball like that? I'm never going to be able to. And before I know it, they were so far ahead of me. So uh, yeah, it, it, there is a chance that someone like uh, Iga Schwantek, that if she tries to keep up with them, uh, it might be uh, the right thing to do, but at the same time, does she have the right technique on the forehand to keep up with them, or should she try and play the way she plays? Should I have tried to keep playing the way I played in '88 and taken some bad losses at times, but at least play that play the way I can play and not try to do something different? So, yeah, there is always that question uh, with Iga for sure. But again, I think that she's a student of the game. She's so serious, and I don't think it's going to it's not going to make a big difference. You know, Indian Wells is around the corner, and Indian Wells is a slow, hard court, and I think that favors somebody like Iga Swantek's game because it, it's a little bit more like a clay court than the one at the Australian Open. Well, I certainly didn't mean with that line of questioning of Iga Swantek to have you conjure up those memories of playing Pete at the <laughs> Open in 89. That was strictly accidental. But while you mention Indian Wells, and before we go to break, we're going to be on stage on Thursday night. That's March 7th, along with Kevin Cronin and a slew of other guests. Kevin's going to be doing the heavy lifting on the music, but you're going to be playing alongside of him. We're going to have guests. We're going to have a podcast. We're going to have a concert. We're going to have a hell of a time. It is going to be Tennis Channel Podcast Network presents kickserveradio.com featuring the great Matt Svelander, along with Ario Speedwagon lead singer Kevin Cronin, Thursday night, March 7th, on the stage at Indian Wells, and it's going to be a great time. And with that, we'll go to break. I know you're looking forward to some uh, uh, knocking on heaven's door with with, with Kevin Cronin, along with some great Ario tunes. Uh, We'll go to break. We'll be back with Johnny Levine right after this. You're listening to the Aussie Open edition of kickserveradio.com, part of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
Hi guys, Sarah Z here with a Kick Serve, Quick Serve with my friend and nutrition guru, Courtney Ward with Body Fuse. Courtney, as we ladies start to get, oh, shall I say, more advanced or more experienced in our life, how about just body weight and body maintenance? That for me is becoming, I, I think, tougher by the day. Boy, you're not alone. And along with our sports performance line, Body Fuse also offers a full weight loss line. And we have an, a fantastic product called Purify, which kickstarts your weight loss. It's a GI detox. It's a water cut as well. So it's really great for bloating, irregularity, um, and people love it to kickstart a weight loss program. And then with that, we couple a product called Blackwall Shredded, kind of cool name. It's a daytime thermogenic. Um, and also has a nootropic in it. It's not super high stimulant, but it's just a, a good mental focus. And it just basically kickstarts your metabolic rate. So that's a daytime thermogenic. We also offer a nighttime thermogenic called Midnight Burn. And this has melatonin and GABA as well as a thermogenic. So it kind of continues that metabolic rate uh, bump, if you will. So the, these three products are, are sort of like the magic trinity. I don't want to say magic pills because there's no such thing. But midnight burn at night, blackwall shredded in the day, uh, and then purify to kind of kickstart your system and clean out your GI tracts. And in addition, purify along with the detox, it allows us to start absorbing nutrients a little bit more efficiently as well. So those three products are just a fantastic trio and very, very popular. Fantastic. And one more time, body fuse bodyfuseusa.com. Well, I'm Sarah Z. She's Courtney with Body Fuse. And now back to more tennis talk with the KickServe Radio Boys. Welcome back, everybody. KickServeRadio.com. AZ, and as promised, now joined by Texas Longhorn, two-time All-American, former top 100 ATP player, Johnny Levine. And Johnny, it was interesting when we were prepping for this show, and I said, what do you feel like talking about? And you said, I feel like talking about Rohan Bopana. And I can see why he would come to mind, obviously, a great story with him becoming the number one player in the world in doubles during the Australian Open, displacing a kid that we like a lot, Austin Krychek, but a, a guy we really also like a lot, Rohan Bopana. But what was it that prompted you to want to make sure that that was something that we were going to definitely get to tonight? Here's Johnny. Rohan Bopana, this is a guy that uh, played in the Arizona Tennis Classic, the inaugural event in 2019. I remember distinctly talking with him, chatting with him, a uh, wonderful guy and really was was kind of contemplating, you know, how much longer he was going to play on the tour. Uh, he had a coffee business back home, and I don't think he advanced too far in that tournament, and he was struggling. But to see his resurgence at 43 years old, to end up being number one in the world, winning his first Grand Slam doubles event, what prompted me to talk about him, Andy, is, is something very unique in that I had read an article about Rohan a few months back and I kind of was following him and he, and he credited his longevity and his sustaining this career to 
during COVID, working on his joints and his knee cartilage was bad. And he started with a certain type of yoga called Iyengar yoga. Interesting. He did it three, four times a week, and I, I believe he continues to do it. And I was fascinated by that um, because he really, really felt that that was the 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 reason that he had has sustained this career at such a such a late age. And so I was just fascinated by it. And, and he's at, and you know I'm a typical you know former tennis guy that's stiff and tight and not too flexible. So because of Rohan, um, I'm now doing Iyengar yoga. Well, and you're also a guy that that I don't know that anybody would have expected. Nobody that knew you when you were at the peak of your powers as a player, like I did, would have thought that your best results would have come also as a doubles player. You and Eric Carita uh, in your final year on tour, making the, the quarterfinals of the French Open and the U.S. Open. So I know you have a, a place in your heart for the doubles players. And it's funny, Johnny. Really, it's not funny doubles is just waning in popularity right now. And I I find that to be sad because having been around a lot of these guys, they're such good dudes. And, and um, Miguel uh, Reyes Varela, who played at the university of Texas, like we did, we got to know him a little bit. Great guy. Isn't it a shame that it's kind of waning in popularity and what can be done to change that? You know, I don't know that there's much that can be done other than have, the top singles guys play doubles because what it comes down to, Andy, is economics. And, you know, it's just hard to sell tickets, uh, you know, to doubles events. They're kind of a an add-on from the singles. And I, I believe years ago when the World Tour Finals tried to have the doubles at a separate venue than the singles, it couldn't make it. So now they have it uh, combined with the singles guys. And so they... They kind of feed off of the crowds that are already there. But, you know, it, it comes down to what sells tickets. And, and unfortunately, the doubles guys don't have the name that these top singles guys do. And and frankly, if the singles guys were to play doubles, you know, like John McEnroe used to and some of the other guys, they likely would be victorious over these doubles specialists, to be honest with you. Another former couple of Longhorn guys that did that were Kevin Kern and Steve Denton. They both have... Fabulous results as singles players, and I think they spent time uh, at the very top of the doubles rankings at number one in the world. And and you're right, it's it's unfortunate because by and large, tennis fans are doubles players, and they enjoy watching doubles, but even more so, they enjoy watching people that they recognize. A guy like Nick Kyrgios, and actually, for that matter, a lot of the players at Indian Wells, that has been part of the success at Indian Wells, is that that's one of the few tour stops where you had a lot of singles players playing in the doubles, but even that started to fall off. And you're not seeing as much of that anymore either. The only time you see the singles players in the doubles is in Davis Cup, and 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 we see Davis Cup less frequently than we used to as well. And what's interesting, Andy, about the doubles today, and I, I was, you know, pretty blown away. I haven't followed the doubles too much, but I mean I follow the guys, but I haven't watched a lot of the matches. But they don't show them. Well, in the finals of the Australian Open, all four players, I don't know if you noticed this, they all served and stayed back. It's incredible. It's an incredible thing. And, I, you know, it's just such a different game now. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some guys that, that still do the serve volley, but by and large, I mean, I, I just, I guess it has to do with how great guys are returning, but that that is a new one on me. If memory serves, 
Johnny, I think that started back at the French Open with Xavier Melis and Christophe Rokas. Remember, they they were either in that final, or maybe even won that final. I can't remember if they won it or not. I should know that, but they definitely were were serving and staying back, and 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 they were pretty successful doing it. But you're right; it's just not something that we saw a lot of. And now, you know, the art of the serve and volley is just. Um, it's, it's really falling off. And before we go on to to talk about your tournament, which is coming up faster, well, I tell you what, one year sure goes by fast, and I'm sure excited about that tournament. But that final with Yannick Center, I really think that that's great for tennis, that Center won that match. I really think having him coming into the season as a bona fide Grand Slam champion uh, is great for the sport, and I happen to really like the kid. How much did you see the extra time on court affect Daniil Medvedev coming down the stretch of that final against against Yannick Center. Yeah, I think it had a lot to do with it, Andy. And, and Medvedev, you know, referred to that after uh, he lost. I mean, he he had some tough matches, you know, starting with the second round, even the first round. You know, he lost the first set. Center, uh, on the other hand, you know, had a pretty pretty easy run in many of his matches. So um, I think he was a lot fresher. And uh, and it showed. I mean, he he was down two sets to love, but he still had plenty of energy, plenty of fight in him, and um, hung tough and and won the last three sets, four, four, and three, to to get his first Grand Slam title. You know, Johnny, it's interesting. I believe that the the physical toll was there, and and coming back from two sets to love, not just playing very five sets, but two sets to love down, and the emotional side of things, I think, is has an effect as well. But He's now been in six major finals and he's lost five of them. And he's the only player in, in men's tennis history to lose two major finals up two sets to love. So the physical side I can see, but is it possible that it's in his head now? Or you think this guy's maybe mentally tougher than that and he's going to be able to set this aside and, and not be sort of known for this when all is said and done? Yeah, I don't think Medvedev is really a guy that 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 chokes or, or gets super tight. And I mean, he's been in a lot of finals. He he obviously he had the big victory against Djokovic. The big victory at the U.S. Open. Are you talking about when he won his one major? That's right. When he won his one major. I mean, he's been there, and 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 in this particular match, I guess he you know he's shown some nerves here and there early on against Nadal, but I don't think it's going to hold them back i mean this is probably you know the hard court is his best surface and i think the u.s open and the australian open are going to be the tournaments that uh, he'll look to win in the future i think he'll struggle uh obviously on the red clay and uh i don't you know i think he'll do okay at wimbledon but i think he's got great shots in his future to win more slams at the aussie and the and the u.s open and then finally, Johnny, I want to get to the Arizona Tennis Classic, but it would not be right to not have you have at least a word on the Djokovic performance because it looked for all the world like he was on his way to winning his 25th and winning his 11th at the Australian. He did lose a couple of sets early on, which is a little uncharacteristic of him, but the match against Sinner, is, is there more to be made of that than this was just a great day for Sinner and not Djokovic's best day? Or is there a little bit of, okay, Father Time is undefeated, and as we said in our last podcast, he certainly got his hands full with this guy, but have we maybe seen just a, the first possible downtick in his dominance of the men's game? 
Well, I hate to say it, but I think possibly. Okay. You know, what's happened now with the guys like Alcaraz, Medvedev, uh, Sinner, they, they know they can beat Djokovic. So that awe factor is is no longer uh, apparent and part of, the, of that dynamic. Djokovic knows that. And um, look, let's face it. I mean, it, it's just not going to get any easier for Djokovic. He still has chances to win more slams, but it's it's certainly going to be tough. I think he can do it on the grass. You know, I think the clay is going to be very I, – I, I just don't see it on the clay. But, uh, look, he's he's surprised us. He's, he's at 24 slams. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he won another two or three, but it's going to be very, very difficult, much more difficult than any of the slams he's won. All right. Arizona Tennis Classic is March – 11th through 17th, Nuno Borges won it last year. Uh, Dennis Kudla, the year before that, actually bagged the double, won the singles and the doubles. And the first year we had it, you had it. Matteo Berrettini was the champion, and he is still a big-time crowd favorite. So you have all these young up-and-comers like Borges, and last year we were treated to some amazing tennis from the likes of uh, Alexander Shevchenko, uh, the, the player that uh, really uh, was, was, was electric. And but we also got to see Berrettini. We also got to see Diego Schwartzman. We also got to see Gaia Monfils. So you've still got that great blend of these up and coming young players and some of these guys that we've watched play for years and years. Is that something we should expect again in 2024? Yeah, I think we're going to have a great field. Um, you know, we we have that great week of the calendar, so we will get great players. We you know we don't know exactly that list of of guys until we get about three, four weeks out from the tournament. But I do want to mention one guy, a U.S. American guy that just cracked the top 100. He's now sitting at 85, first time in the top 100. And that's Alexander Kovacevic, who played our tournament last year and had a great run. We want to give him congratulations on reaching the top 100. And and he's really looking like he's going to have a bright future in the game and, and probably will consistently stay in that top 100. Alex Kovacevic, who played at the University of Illinois. And if you have not seen that kid play and you want to see one of the prettiest young one-handers in the sport right now, you had J.J. Wolf sort of put the crowd in the palm of its hand the year before. It was Alex Kovacevic that did it last year. And you get these young guys that you see them up close and then suddenly, as you said, Johnny, these guys are starting to, you know, move into the top hundred and you start seeing them on television at these majors. And it's really cool because oftentimes you'll see these guys. Brad Gilbert pointed that out the first year that we interviewed him. He's like, you're going to discover people at Johnny Levine's tournament. And Matteo Berrettini won it. He was 57 in the world. I'd never heard of him. I'd never laid eyes on him. And then I watched him play Federer in the round of 16 at Wimbledon later that year and Rafa Nadal in the semifinals of the U.S. Open six months after winning your tournament. So that's the kind of thing you can see. The doubles is amazing. And um, if you can't make it out to Indian Wells and you want to see some phenomenal pro tennis in one of the most intimate venues that you can possibly have at the Phoenix Country Club, you got to get tickets to the Arizona Tennis Classic in Phoenix, Arizona. Johnny, how do they get them? Well, it's pretty easy. All they have to do is go to the Arizona Tennis Classic, and there will be a link for tickets, and it's got an array of different packages, daily tickets, and all different sessions you can buy. And so we're going to pray for good weather and and hope for a great tournament and have you be our 
annual MC, and we look forward to having you, Andy, uh, introducing all the players and and being the face of the tournament. There's two things you can count on, Johnny, with with all of what you just said. Good weather in Phoenix, Arizona, pretty likely. A good chance that while on the mic, I will ask inappropriate questions of these players, also incredibly likely. But that adds a little bit of sauce, a little spice to the tournament. I know it's a little cringy for you at times seeing me down there, but I do my best to uh, make you as uncomfortable as I can. And I think I hit the mark regularly. Yes, you do, Andy. Yes, you do. <laughs> you have a lock on before at Indian Wells, and that's going to be exciting. And then we're going to look forward to having you uh, come from Indian Wells right into Phoenix and, uh, and, and to do your thing. So it'll be great. We talked about it earlier on the show with Matt's KickServeRadio.com presents an evening with Matt's Vlander, Kevin Cronin, and many other tennis players that are going to be brought up on that stage at Indian Wells on Thursday from 4.30 to 6. So, yes, thanks for mentioning that as well. For Johnny Levine and Matt's Vlander, I'm Andy Zoden. We're KickServeRadio.com. We look forward to seeing you in the desert at both Indian Wells at the Garden and in Arizona at the Arizona Tennis Classic at the Phoenix Country Club. And hopefully you'll catch us all year long with much more on kickserveradio.com, part of Tennis Channel Podcast Network.